going to talk a little bit about this, uh, this reading from Acts, um, which is, I think, quite an important uh, reading for us to reflect on. And it starts out like this. We just heard it, verse 42, um, that the fellowship, the, the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I want us to consider, first of all, this, uh, this first little bit, just this word devote or devotion, and try to get our, a handle on what that word really means. Um, we, we actually have quite a lot of trouble, I think, being devoted to pretty much anything or anyone uh, these days. Uh, devotion really is kind of the same word as commitment, um, but it can also be understood as uh, persevere in, or um, my, my favorite uh, uh, way of, of saying this, if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll find continued steadfastly in. We don't use the word steadfast very much, so I, that's why I like that one. Um, but, but I think that does kind of capture it. You know, we're staying steadfast to it, or we're, we're going to continue in a certain way, be devoted to that, to something, um, and persevere in it, and things, nothing's going to deter us from uh, that commitment. And, um, and like I said, I think we have some real trouble with devotion, with commitment, um, and with perseverance as well. Um, so when you think about uh, school is actually a great example um, because some of us manage to persevere through that um, and so we have an idea of what it means to do that yet in other parts of our lives we don't necessarily always persevere it's quite easy to kind of give up or, um, or try or think well we've got to change tactic or we've got to do something different rather than, than trying to keep going at whatever it is we're, we're working towards um, we tend to have trouble with those kinds of things now we've got to notice what, uh, what they're actually devoted to as well, because this is really important. Um, there's four things that are mentioned. One is the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And I'd like us to just start with the first one, the apostles' teaching, and really think about, well, what is the apostles' teaching? What is that talking about? There's a particular message that the apostles had, and the apostles are, um, apostle just means sent ones, um, but it's, uh, the, uh, the apostles are kind of those first followers of Jesus, the ones who were with him, the 11. Um, and they kind of had the, uh, the corner at that time on what was supposed to be taught to the other believers. And so the apostles' teaching is a particular message, and there's an actual content to the message. So it's not just any old teaching, whatever the apostles say, but it's a very specific teaching. And over and over in the book of Acts, you hear this message, you can read this message, and I would summarize it with three words, and that's this. Christ is risen. That's pretty much the content of their message. There's a whole bunch of unpacking to do around that message and what that really means for them and their lives, and they have to know a whole bunch of background, but that's essentially what they're trying to get across, is that Christ is risen. So there was this one, Jesus, who was killed, crucified, and yet he is risen from the dead. They had seen him. And they believed they had proof that he was the son of God. And that through him and through his death and resurrection, 
we could be reconciled to God. And so this all goes along with this Christ is risen message. It's to say somehow our lives are reconciled to God, we're put right with God, we receive forgiveness through Christ through his death and resurrection. And everywhere they went, they proclaimed this message. And so when it talks about the believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is what they're devoting themselves to, is this teaching. Now, what does that look like to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching or to persevere in the apostles' teaching? I think the first thing we can think about, a, maybe a first principle and what it looks like is to uh, immerse yourself or be immersed in the teaching itself. And that means um, you cannot assume that you know it um, or that, you, well, yeah, I heard this, you know, 10 years ago and that's fine. Or I went to Sunday school when I was a kid and yeah, I learned that. So, fine. You can't really do that. To persevere in teaching is actually to persevere in learning. And so that means you have to be in continual study of that teaching. Um, how many of you have uh, taken a test or an exam and as soon as you were done the test or exam, you forgot everything that was on the test or exam? <laughs> okay, so more than half the people here have done that. I've done that. I did that with Biblical Hebrew in seminary, and I studied like crazy to try to just pass that exam because it was a requirement, and uh, I could not have passed it the day after I wrote it. I passed it the day I wrote it, I could not have passed it the next day. There's absolutely no way. Um, and I think this is what the teaching is like. This is what the, the message that the, that the apostles had, is it's kind of like when you get away from it, or you don't use it, you don't immerse yourself in it, you don't study it. It's really easy to kind of forget about it, or to not quite know how it applies anymore because you haven't really been looking at it. And so we need to be staying in the study of the apostles' teaching or the Word of God, because it's kind of like those tests where we were like weren't quite paying attention during the term, and then we cram it all in and think, okay, I'll just get through it. We can't really treat the Bible or the teaching that's associated with the risen Christ that way or we're not really immersing ourselves in it, right? Like, we're not actually learning. We're just sort of trying to get by. And that doesn't really work. That's not real devotion, is it? Um, so that's, I think, the, the first thing, is to immerse yourself in the teaching, um, to stay with it. The second principle is really to, to, to kind of go beyond learning, and that is to apply the teaching. Okay, so to put it into practice, to do it, to live it out. Um, another way of thinking of this, because sometimes like, well, how do I live out Christ is risen? Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, a way of thinking about this is to li live your life as though that really is true. Like, do we really believe that that's true? That we're reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, and we wake up every morning and think, wow, this is awesome. Uh, I don't know, lots of mornings I don't wake up thinking, wow, this is so awesome that I have this relationship with God, this is amazing. And, wow, the grace of God is just so wonderful and fantastic, and I'm just going to have a fantastic day today because of what Jesus did for me. Most mornings, I don't actually wake up thinking that. But wouldn't it be great if we did, that if we applied this daily to our lives, 
wow, this is the biggest thing ever. Because it is the biggest thing ever. Yet we don't really live that way. And to kind of illustrate how putting things into practice is really important, we can look at something Jesus himself said, uh, Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27. Uh, Jesus said this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. See, the foundation is not just hearing the teachings or knowing the teachings, it's also putting them into practice. Notice in what Jesus talks about, both people, both people hear Jesus, right? He's not saying, you know, blessed is the one who hears my teaching and cursed is the one who doesn't hear it. He's not saying that at all. Both people hear it, but one puts it into practice and the other one doesn't. And the one who puts it into practice has the house built on the rock that withstands the storm. And so we've got to put our learning and our practice together. It can't just be disconnected. So it's great to go to Bible studies, but if all you do is go to Bible studies and learn about the Bible and it doesn't actually do anything in your real life, there's, there's no point to the study of the Word. You've got to be putting it into practice. So the foundation is more than just learning or hearing the teachings, it's putting it into practice. Well, how do we put them into practice? And actually, I think there's a verse that we started with that we're looking at kind of gives us a little bit of the how, because the first part is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then it's followed up with, and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Built into this is this idea of community, of communion, and of prayer. Now the first followers in this time, they met in one another's homes, they ate together, they prayed together, and in doing that, what were they doing? They were putting the apostles' teaching into practice together. They were living it out. If you go back, say, like 60 or 70 years uh, previous to now, you might find that there was a culture of church expectation. In other words, pretty much everybody in Canada, you were expected to go to church. So you're going to go, you're going to hear the teaching, and your family life is also going to be uh, a Christian family life, and your neighbors are also going to go to church. And the people who didn't, they were looked down on. They were, you know, they were weird. That's not the world we live in anymore, is it? Like we're so far beyond that. If you go to the the, the early disciples and their time, they were meeting together under intense persecution, mostly. And they had a little bit of, we hear it read in Acts, that there were pockets of favor given to God's people. But overall, these believers were coming together, and they were the minority. They were, even though we hear of thousands, thousands is nothing compared to the millions and millions of people around. But they were the minority, and they were under persecution. What's interesting about that time is they really needed to be together. So they're all believing this thing that nobody believes. So they need to get together. And 
band together and say, like, we got to stay in, in this teaching together because we're going to need each other to stay with it. So community would have been really important in that time. And I think it's the same for us now because we're past that time where the culture said, everybody goes to church. Everybody believes the same thing. We're past that, so we really need each other to remind one another of the truth. Now, verse 44 and 45 in our reading go even farther beyond than this. We would normally think of as fellowship and all these nice things that happen at church and all this kind of stuff. Verse 44 and 45 say this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. But I think that just illustrates how much they really needed one another. And how much the Spirit was at work in their community for them to support one another. And, and I think now our, our culture is actually a lot closer to the <coughs> culture of those early disciples than maybe it even was to the culture of 60 or 70 years ago. Now, we don't live with overt persecution, right? Like, nobody is, uh, nobody's coming here tonight to burn the church down because we're having a worship service. But instead, I think we live with a quiet idolatry. And... What I mean by that is pretty much anything can be God in our society. And, and you know, it's okay if, if God is God. That's okay. I'm not going to infringe on your right to believe in God. But as long as you don't infringe on my right to, you know, worship my idol or <laughs> whatever it is. Right? We live with a quiet idolatry where anything can be God. Uh, and most people don't even consciously choose what their God is, or the variety of things that their God might be. And what I mean by that is that people don't choose consciously what they are most devoted to. And so you'll find people, and some of us might be among those people from time to time, where we'll, we'll, be, we'll be devoted to the latest technology, or we'll be devoted to our stuff that we have, or to the car that we drive, or we'll be devoted to our favorite TV show never miss that. Absolutely not. Like, i got to catch up. Or, oh, shoot, I'm going to see those people tomorrow, and they're all going to ask me. They're all going to be talking about uh, uh, The Voice and who won, and so I better make sure I watch The Voice. Like, we, we're all devoted to it. A lot of us, and I'll really include myself in this category, are devoted to the certain sports teams. Sometimes more than we might be to Jesus. Now, those all kind of sound like they might be negative things, and that's easy, but, but sometimes we're more devoted to things that are actually quite positive and that we should hold in high regard. So, family. We might be really devoted to our families, and we should be really devoted to our families, but sometimes we put family, even, in the place of God, as though family dictates absolutely everything about how we live our so it can get quite tricky. We will be devoted to our careers. And as much as we'll say, well, that's a bad thing, workaholism's bad, and all that kind of thing, well, it actually is a good thing to be devoted to. Like, you, you, sh you should show up to work every day. 
You know, like I'm not telling you, well, God told me not to go to work, so I'm going to stay home and pray. No. No, you got to go to work. You should stay devoted in your studies. Right? So those are all good things, but when they become ultimate things, they take the place of God. When they become our sole focus, they take the place of God. And that's not right. And our society and our culture will just let us get away with that. Let us do that all the time. And in fact, will encourage us to do that. Most advertising encourages us to replace God with some other thing, usually the product that they want us to buy. We have this quiet idolatry that we just let it happen. Not even to ourselves, but also to one another. So church today, I think as it was in the first few centuries, and by church I don't just mean like an organized church, I mean when you've got people, believers who are gathered together. Any fellowship. Church today, as it was in the first few centuries, is intensely countercultural, I think. And church ought to say no to a private religion, right? So I'll believe my thing, you believe your thing, and it's, it's, it's in here. There's a difference between private and personal, by the way. So people will say, no, I don't, like, religion a, is a personal thing, so I won't talk about it. Actually, it should be religion is a very personal thing, and so I'm going to share that with my community of faith. Because we should share personal things with one another. That's exactly what we should be doing. A pri it's not private. A private thing is like, I'm going like to keep that away from other people. Religion is not a private thing. It is a very personal thing. But it's also meant to be shared in community. Our faith is meant to be shared with one another. So church should say no to private religion, but yes to personal religion. Um, church should say no to self-reliance or to self-centeredness. And we're terrible at this because we think we should take care of ourselves in all aspects of our lives, including in our faith lives. And actually, Jesus set things up completely differently. Was he basically said, you need to rely on me, you need to rely on my Holy Spirit, you need to rely on one another. And look at the early church and how they structured themselves, being there for one another, being in fellowship together. So church should say no to self-reliance. Church ought to say no to anything that displaces God from the center of devotion as well. So I, I, I think we really need each other. We need each other to stick to this. So just think about if how many followers of Jesus are you around during the week? You should be around people who don't follow Jesus as well, because you can be a light to them. But without other followers of Jesus around, it becomes really difficult to stick to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking bread, and to the prayers. It becomes really hard to do that without others around. How many other people in your life believe that the resurrection of Jesus happened and have life and world-changing effects? How many other people in your life know that Jesus loves them so much that he gave himself up for them to heal them, restore them, set them right, and forgive them. You need those people around you to encourage you in your faith. We need each other to hold to the teaching of the apostles. We need to be together to break bread 